You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, the voice you just heard belongs to one of the most recognisable voices in Irish music, the Irish troubadour Jerry Fish. Jerry has loved travelling all his life, and today you're going to hear great travel tales about Jerry's travel in Israel and Greece in the 80s, to touring with Emotional Fish in America and in Europe, and supporting you too on their Zuropa tour, some great stories from that, right up to today, and how travel through his life has influenced his character, Jerry Fish. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. You've travelled all over the world with your music, but you've always been a lover of travelling and adventuring, haven't you? Forever. Forever and ever. I, I was basically, I'm an immigrant, I was, grew up an immigrant in South London, so never really belonged. You know, I knew, you know, I was an Irish kid. I was told daily I was an Irish boy, you know, so growing up in London. And then we, we came home and I never really settled, so I, I've taken to the road since, really. I, I, I became pretty much addicted to travel because I grew up in London, came to Ireland. I never settled down, so I kept moving and moving and in a way trying to find myself. And then, you know, you start really collecting cultures and learning new things. And, you know, I fell in love with the Bedouin culture and the Sinai. And, you know, you learn, you learn a lot from their philosophy and their culture and even, even their faiths, you know, even different kinds of faiths in India. You know, India is a, another wonderful place to travel. But I remember talking to Sean McGinley about travel many years ago, and he said the most travelled person he'd ever met had never left Donegal, you know. He was a fiddler who'd never slept in the same bed, you know, twice. He he, he, he kind of moved around from house to house, you know, this old man. So I don't think travel is is always about distance, you know. It's it's really, it's, I guess it's a way of life, you know. I mean, I'm still, you know, haven't been many places this year, but if you, if you were inside my head, I've I've been all over the world, you know. And I think a lot of a lot of what we're doing now is reflecting, you know, times gone. So that's another form of travel, you know. You know, I mean, that's the one thing we uh, are missing, you know, is traveling, you know. And I think, you know, it's it, it is something. It's it's a good idea for you to kind of open up the conversation, you know. Matt, as Mark Mark Twain said. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry and narrow-mindedness. And I think that's really the great gift of travel and seeing other cultures. As you, as you realise, we're not all living the same way, you know. So, And I think, my, I mean, my, my mother and father, um, you know, bringing us up in London, I think they wanted us as their children... Uh, to not be narrow-minded, you know, they wanted us to be broad-minded. And that's really why, you know, they, they kind of decide to raise the kids outside Ireland. Even though we returned to Ireland, you know, we don't have a narrow mind. We didn't grow up in a small place. We grew up in a multicultural place, you know. It, just seeing, at least make and attempting to see something through another person's eyes and culture, you know, yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, it makes, I think it makes you realise, you know, we are one and we're all different, you know, we're all every, not not even just individually, but culturally so different. And that's what makes uh, the place so unique and wonderful, you know. What age were you when you came home? 
Um, I'd say around 13, 14. But it was it was an absolute culture shock, to be honest. You know, I think the Irish, although I grew up in an Irish community in London, the Irish abroad are a completely different race than than the Irish at home. I think you know. True. So you you always had that kind of um, troubadour, like traveller, about you. You always I, travelling. I, I, I guess I didn't really fit in. I didn't feel I, you know, I mean, I, I, I grew up, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a very boring story for my family. Everybody knows about me, but I grew up an Irish bastard, basically, <laughs> excuse the French, <laughs> and then came to Ireland, became an English bastard. So it was like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I kind of lost faith in any nationality and thought, look, the world is mine. You know, I went back to, uh, I left home around 16 years of age, uh, went back to the UK, uh, lived in Scotland for a while, where I became a Catholic bastard, you know what I mean? And realized, <laughs> you know, kind of keep moving, Jerry. I um, went to London, back to London for a while, worked in London for a while. And then uh, a friend, a dear friend of mine, uh, contacted me from Israel. He was on a kibbutz in Israel and said I should come over there. So around the age of 18, 19, I, I, I ended up in the Middle East. Wow. And, and fell in love pretty much. I mean, the way the kibbutzim worked back then, I'd, I mean, politics was not a thing of mine. I didn't really uh, uh, get involved. So I had no idea of what Israel even was. I just knew it was sunny, you know. Um, went, went there um, and ended up traveling around, spent, I basically became a beach bum and I lived in the Sinai Desert with some Bedouins for a while. Um, and did you actually work in the, the kibbutz? Did, did you work in the kibbutz? I remember. Yeah, around... no, I, I, did, I did jobs like, um, you know, picking oranges. And uh, um, I think I worked with chickens for a bit, you know, and I worked in the kitchen. And it, 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 it don't pay you very much, but you're based there. You have accommodation, food, and you can travel from there. So it was a great base to kind of, you know, see the likes of Egypt um, and, and great cities like Jerusalem, you know. I mean, I'm, to be honest, when I travel, it's it's not just people I'm interested in; it's nature. So, um, and it's it's a wonderful country, you know, it's a beautiful country. And I fell in love with deserts and the sky. I mean, the one, um, the thing about the the desert cultures is the the only moving um, landscape is the sky, you know, and the sky is just full of stars and shooting stars. I think on average there's one every 20 minutes or something. So that, you know, no, it's no wonder they would have forced astrologers, etc. So, I mean, I fell in love with that culture, particularly the, the Bedouin tribes, you know, it really and then from there I went to Greece and did all the island hopping. So, so this is way before I, you know, even joined a band. I was, I was out on the road. So know? I'm sure it influenced you then, um, you know, going off traveling. It's better than any uh, for life experience. Um, you know what I mean? It must have influenced you as well from your music in future years. All that traveling. I, I, th I, think, Mark, I think Mark Twain, uh, I forget the, the exact quote, so I paraphrase, but it, but it's basically the, the antidote to narrow-mindedness. You know, I think when you when you kind of see other cultures and you see there's different people living in different, completely different ways than yourself, um, it, it it opens your mind. You know, and actually, my 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 mother and father, their um, main reason for us for raising a family in London was to keep was to, for us to have an open mind. You know, so I grew up with. 
many different cultures in South London as well, you know, uh, West Indies and all sorts of people from all over the world. And you know. um, the, what about the music at that time was amazing, wasn't it, in London? Was that, so that was the early, what was that, the early 80s, was it? Or? No, even the 70s. The um, uh, West Indian you know, uh, Yes, I mean, reggae was born, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, reggae, calypso, all, all that, everything moved through London. So soul was a big music then around the 70s yeah. as well. So, And of course, punk came along. And I think that's where we all got permission to make music. Yeah, they would, that would have been a big influence of you. You wouldn't have for Emotional Fish, for the attitude. Yeah, anyway. Definitely, the whole, the whole alternative scene. I mean, Emotional Fish started in, 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 I think we formed in 1988. I remember the, the boys were, convinced me to come off an island in Greece and, uh, you know, settle down and join a band. Um, I've been in bands since the early 80s in all around Dublin, but never really focused. So from 88, we focused and we signed a, re a massive record deal in 1989. And uh, it was the perfect job for me, you know, and as soon as I got on a tour bus, um, you know, a bus with beds on it, that kind of constantly moved and you you woke up in a new city was a dream come true so uh, just constantly traveled then we we did uh, we extensively traveled north america and and, and the us and what was uh, that like i i mean i was fascinated and I, I don't think i ever really had a fascination with america um but i am um very interested in in their native culture you know the native americans so Mm -hmm. um, so I embraced the land, you know, I mean, I, the, the Grand Canyon was, was, and still is, you know, it's like a massive clock because it keeps, uh, the shadows keep moving. You, your eyes don't know what's happening. It, it keeps changing all the time. And then I, um, you know, anytime I had off, I would venture off to places like Yosemite National Park where they've got the giant sequoia. So to meet a tree that's two and a half, thousand years old or three thousand years old you realize that this tree is older than the birth of christ yeah. uh, um is you know does something to you so i love i love nature i've always loved traveling as well as people and cultures i love i love to see landscape. new landscapes nature, and that's from your time i suppose in israel like that love of deserts then you brought that to your travels in america I did. I particularly, you know, places like Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah, I fell in love with those places. Uh, and what was those, you know, those trips away to the desert? Get was that also a great way of getting away from, you know, your, it was like a rock and roll tour. So I'm sure that it was like, you know, um, late nights and partying, etc. So that must be. It's like a retreat. <laughs> Well, I think there's late night parties on, in a desert as well. You know? yeah. that's, that's, that's human nature. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I've, I've never, you know, I just, I guess I'm very passionate about my music and it's very much, um, and I'm realising more and more now, it's, it's therapy for me, you know, so it's always been that kind of, uh, you know, something that's brought me a lot of, peace in my life you know writing and, and performing songs and working with people you know and audiences of course like i remember actually i saw you i i think it was one of the first failures the first time i remember the first time seeing you and i was coming into a gig it was an outdoor gig and you were climbing up um the kind of scaffolding on the side of the stage i think it was yeah. failure and just stopping 
and you're going, wow, you know, see, like the energy from you. That's what I mean by punk was an influence because you were just the energy. Yeah, was... I, I think, I mean, I, 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 I loved heights. I loved climbing <laughs> when I was younger. Um, uh, and yeah, and I kind of made that part of the show. You mentioned earlier about Greece. Did, so yes. Did you spend a bit of time in Greece? I did. I, I spent, um, oh, I spent a lot of the 80s in Greece. I, 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 I would have first I, first time I was in Greece was in 1982 in uh, Naxos and I spent a bit of time I actually I, I, I'd i come from the Sinai Desert in, in Egypt because I, I was a bit of a beach bum in the 80s that was kind of my favorite thing to do uh, you know living the Kerouac life on the on the Greek island so I, I went off to Naxos and and stayed on a rock for a maybe six weeks just living on a rock. Uh, and then <laughs> I, I remember having to go to get water late at night to a disco and uh, because I'd forgotten to fill my water thing and uh, discovering the disco then. And that was kind of end, the end of the castaway living. I, I was then uh, drawn into getting a, to hanging out in the disco. <clears throat> uh, so 82 was the first time. And then... Um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And then I just went back a couple of times uh, since I've been to uh, Paros and Antiparos. Um, actually, I love Antiparos. And then I, the longest I was in Greece, I spent um, how long? Maybe as many as eight months in, in Crete in a place called Matala, which is a, a load of old caves which christians used to hide in or something in matla in their uh, southern crete so uh yeah i lived in a little village called Pitsidia in uh in in crete which i believe there's there's something like you know a dozen Pitsidias, so you you can never get post <laughs> uh, for some reason all the villages are called Pitsidia. but um yeah then that was that was that was really wonderful it was really wonderful to see how um, you know, the local populations um, behaved when the tourists were gone, you know. So I think the tourists, obviously, they're, they're an income, but they're also a bit of a pest, you know. So it's kind of nice to be there when they were all gone, you know. I went to Nexus, um, my first holiday with Emer in the middle of the 90s. Our first place to go to was um, to Greece and to Nexus. And then we went back about two years ago with the kids you know, just yeah. and it was and, and it changed a lot actually in that period. It was a lot busier, but still had that character. It's just such a place to chill, isn't it? And relax. It, 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 I think relax. it's I think the reason I chose Naxos as the first island was at the time its main income was from agriculture. So it wasn't a tourist yeah. island. But I mean that was nineteen eighty two, you know. So I mean I, I guess I was following the hippie trail. Because everybody was telling me, "Oh, you should have been here in the seventies, you know." But, um, <laughs> yeah. but it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I actually would would be quite reticent about going back to any of those places to see, you know, that that kind of development. I know the Sinai. I was very lucky to be there in eighty two, just as the Israelis had given it back to the to Egypt, and I was one of the first to be there, and it was. It was deserted. It was like the end end of the world. So that was pretty fantastic. And now I know there's big hotels and stuff like that, and airports and all. So. I loved it going back, but I have to say, like we went to Paris as well, 
and we went to this place called Noosa on the other side of the island. And when we mm. were there the first time, it was like a little fishing village. And this time we went back, the, the, the little fishing part just had all, it was just covered in tables and people. I couldn't get over it, the difference. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's the thing about travel. I mean, it's often, uh, you know, going back. Yeah, you you know, it's it's a one-off experience. You know, you go there at a, cer- at a certain time and that's it, you know. And if it's beautiful, you, you're nearly better off leaving it in your memory, I think, you know. Um, but yeah, no, Greece. That's, I, well, that's why I always like to go to new places. You know? Yeah, well, I, I was in uh, Athens, I think, a few years ago, two years ago, or was it last year? Can't remember. This year is a very, very long year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and um, what's the island I went to? I decided we, we spent uh, with the kids, we had the four kids, and we were in um, Athens for. I think four or five days and Athens is amazing. I mean, I love, I love it, you know, and I love the kind of culture of uh, graffiti art and stuff that they have there. It seems quite anarchic, you know, and there's so much to see, you know. And then we went off to Agina, which is um, the closest island to, to Athens. Yeah. And that was a, the original yeah. capital and the original port, the ancient port of Agina. So a, a lot of... Um, a lot of Greeks would 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 holiday there, you know, and we had a great place there, right on the beachfront, and it was really really lovely. So I still love Greece, and the people are so friendly. Yeah. Food is great, you know. Exactly. I'm a big fan of Greece for sure. I you might go to Hydra. Hyde? No, I haven't or been to Hydra. No, I think it's far too posh for me now. I think, I think you know, I think when when <laughs> Leonard Cohen was there, it was you know the hippie island that. Like I said, everyone said you should have been there in the 70s. I think, you know, in the 60s and 70s, yeah, they were really idyllic places. Like you say, there were fishing villages where poets hung out, you know. But now I think Hydra is is quite uh, uppity, really. But there's no cars, I think, on Hydra. Is that correct? No, yeah. So that must be quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell us, um, is there somewhere like a hidden gem or somewhere that you've been to that you'd recommend to people? There are many, but I think, uh, like I said, often you go to places at a certain time and, you know, six months later, it's a completely different place, certainly a few years. So, I mean, the most, the experience of having uh, uh, been in the Sinai just in 82, just as it was uh, returned to um, the Egyptians from Israel, that was amazing, you know. You, I, I, I slept in a, uh, a hut, which was built for uh, lifeguards, and I made a little house there and lived like Robinson Crusoe on that. And you know, you, you, you'd swim out a few yards, and you'd, you'd be in um, Jacques Cousteau land. You know, it'd be like amazing fish and coral and all sorts. But that's gone now. You know, that was 1982, I believe. Now you can go there and stay in a five-star hotel instead. You know places like Nueva and Dehab. But um, but I would say one one place that's not going to change, and I probably won't change for another millennia, is, is, is a Yosemite National Park. Uh, to see the sequoia trees there. And that's amazing. You know, I think Northern California, um, I've camped up there on Eel River and uh, gone into Yosemite to, to see the sequoias. And, you know, some of them are over 2,000 years old. So, you know, 
they're older than Christianity and, and to see these living beings and to behold them is amazing, you know. So so that that, that is a place, that's a must, that's that's a wonderful place to, to go to, you know, Northern California, Yosemite National Park. And the Grand Canyon is another place, you know, I really, really loved and, uh, you know, it's not going to change, I don't think. <laughs> Did you ever, when you were travelling, was there ever a time or an incident or a story where you were really afraid? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, I, you know, I've, I've grown up in a lot of rough places, so I kind of, my, my fear factor would probably be a bit higher than, than most. So cities I'm used to, so I haven't, I haven't really had that. But I did have a, an incident one time in Israel where I had to go up to see a guy with a guy, with another guy, to the Golan Heights and up, up there. And he had to show me how to use an Uzi before we left, you know? And, uh, I said, okay, get you know, and they're they're not as they're not as uh, as simple to use as you see in the Hollywood movies. There's all sorts of safety catches and all sorts on them. So I, I paid a lot of attention to how to use this Uzi in case I I had to. And then we drove up, and actually somebody threw a petrol uh, bomb at the car, um, and it was quite it was quite strange because it wasn't I wasn't really worried about you know us exploding in in a car. But but it was my sister's car at the time, and I was I was thinking, um, oh, the paintwork on the car—they were going to destroy the car. So it's amazing what your brain does, you know. And the the, the fellow I was travelling with, he was he was you know saying to me, "Are you going to uh, leave your window open or your window closed? You know, you're going to leave your seatbelt on or your seatbelt off?" And I was like, "Don't ask me. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it." You know. But I have to say it was it was um it was a scary trip and I guess you know it's the politics there it, it really messed up so, so it was you know I I can understand uh anger and people being being angry and why they would they would you know be angry with the authorities in Israel but um but the the views the Golan Heights itself was absolutely beautiful there was a fun full moon out and it, it, it's one of the most beautiful places in the planet. And I think, I think you know, you get rid of people, like I say, you know, the, the land is really, really amazing, you know, beautiful. Where's the most unusual place that you bumped into an Irishman? We all have stories about everywhere we go, really, we bump into <laughs> yeah. Irish. I don't, yeah, is there anywhere on the planet you can go and not meet a paddy, you know? It's, uh, I've met, I've met uh, and befriended a lot of uh I've made a good lot of good friends, uh, Irish friends abroad, you know. Um, I mean, there was a few of us in, in Matala when I lived in Crete. There was a couple of guys there. We got very close. Um, I guess, not unusual, but I, rem- I remember um, again back in the 80s on my beach bum days, I was sleeping on a beach in uh, Taba in, in Israel, which are now, I think, uh, belongs to Egypt. But... Um, I saw this guy chasing after this camel, you know, his little tattoos, <laughs> and he was trying to get onto this camel, and he was he was attacking it from behind, like a bit like a um, a wild cat or something. And he was grabbing the back of his camel and trying to climb over the camel, and I, I was just looking at him, going, "He's Irish, you know. There's no doubt about that. He's Irish. Uh, just the tenacity of the man. I could tell he was an Irishman, and." Uh, We've actually, you know, we got talking later and, and um, 
we've become good friends. We we actually camped that that evening, and he was like, "Do you know such and such? Do you know this person? Do you know that?" And I was like, "No, no, don't know any of them." And what he was actually uh, talking about people who have begun going to become my future friends, future best friends, you know. So we go back a long, long way. And uh, so I guess it, in the middle of the desert, yeah, would be um, uh, where I would be the most unusual place I've met an Irishman. But I, you meet them everywhere. You know? Sometimes I think I should change that question to, is there somewhere where you didn't bump into an Irish person <laughs> when you were abroad? <laughs> yeah, that, that, would be, that would be more difficult to answer, I think. Especially you, you probably get people coming up to you, recognizing you. No, I'm, I, I'm pretty. You know, I don't, I don't kind of throw out a big um, uh, aura that way. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people don't really. Do you know, often when I talk, people start recognizing me. You know, but um, Irish people are very polite anyway, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? We don't. We're not sort of. I, I think that's what makes us good travellers. You know, we like a story. We like, um, you know, we like to listen to people's stories, and we we always have a story. So I think that makes us good travellers. I think you know, and that's why you can meet an Irishman pretty much anywhere in the world. You know. Speaking of stories, um, I heard a story about you um, when you were touring with you two, and you it was your birthday. And you went on stage. Is that, do you, do you know the one I'm talking about? It was in Paris. Yeah, well, I, I seen, now I seen, um, well, you had a question, what was the wildest thing I'd done on stage? And I guess, uh, well, I mean, it's, uh, a lot of people got to see it. So I, I'd written a song called, to give it some context, I'd written a song called If God Was a Girl. And, uh, you know, this was way back in the mid, early, early to mid 90s. So, uh, so I was kind of had this spate of of kind of finishing the show with me taking my kit off basically and end up naked. So I'm, was, I know ridiculous thing to do. Um, I think we were banned from American radio uh, in one state uh, because of it. But um, I, I was I played um, an emotional fish played the Zeropa tour in Italy and France. And we were in Marseille, and my birthday is is Bastille Day, the fourteenth of July, so I couldn't resist that day, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, managed to kind of. Well, no, I had a big bunch of flowers to cover uh, my uh, bits, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that would probably be the strangest and wildest thing I've done on stage. Um, and but it was great. It was actually there's a director called Morris Lenan, and he was filming. Uh, He's quite well known, but he he was filming uh, the Zeropa at the time. So, and it's actually his birthday. And then it turns out we're both born in the same hospital. We were both born in Hollow Street. And then legend has it, uh, my mother actually left with the wrong baby. So, I could be Morris Lenan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that <laughs> um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. The Zeropa tours were great. You know that that that, that was amazing. Amazing. And of course, we had a massive hit in Italy uh, with uh, Vasco Rossi, who's basically Italy's uh, Bruce Springsteen. And um, uh, that was huge, you know, so we'd start celebrating in Italy. The whole crowd would just go crazy because they, they knew the song. And then as soon as I started singing, because he he translated into Italian and added his own lyrics, 
uh, they were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? So, yeah, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun on that tour. And was Pearl Jam supporting as well? Pearl Jam, yeah, Eddie Vedder, Pearl, uh, Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. I mean, they had they had some great support acts and uh, joined us a rope or uh, uh, tour. Uh, they had, I know, Disposable Heroes of uh, Hypocrisy was one band. So I got to hang out with Michael Franti for a bit. And then... Yeah, I saw them in America. They're a great band. They're really fun. And, and Pearl Jam yeah, as well. I saw, I, I saw that tour in America, the same when it was, you know, the, the American version and Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy mm. were staying in the same hotel. I was up to Philadelphia to go to the gig and they were staying in the same hotel as me. So I teamed up with them in the bar afterwards in the hotel but they were amazing. What was that song? Revolution. Yeah, uh, tele television, television, drug of the nation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, Michael Franti is a lovely guy. So I got to hang out with him, and then and then Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam were were um, on a couple of the dates with us. So myself and Eddie used to kind of like, I mean, kind of play games of kind of who would be who would do the kind of craziest thing. Yeah, with the audience. So, I mean, I was always stage diving. But he used to kind of get gaffer tape and gaffer tape his whole body up and then dive in. So I think he may have won that challenge, actually. Uh, but they're nice guys, you know. Eddie, I read a lot of time for Eddie, Eddie Vedder. He's a really lovely guy. Seems like it. And tell us, um, just talking about gigs, is there a gig that you have that you went to, like in Ireland or abroad, that stands out as your favourite? I mean, I've seen some amazing gigs and I'm a big fan of music. Uh, um, I saw Idols there last year and I'm a big fan of Idols. Um, I, th I remember Iggy Pop in the stadium in Dublin was really amazing, you know. A uh, big fan of Iggy and to see him in kind of up close like that. And uh, I guess that would have been kind of in the 90s. Um, and I remember him spearfishing a a punter in the audience because somebody was gobbing at him or something and and uh that was i thought that that's a really good move <laughs> i like that um uh, but i it, i mean we were very lucky we got to tour amazing festivals um uh one was pukal pop in in 1990 and the bill on that was nirvana actually played a couple of bands before an emotional fish uh and after that i think we we you know ride were on 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 the bill uh sonic youth frank black and we, we became friends there um uh then shane mcgowan and the pogues you know and this was in 1990 the pogues were amazing you know and and then i think uh the ramones so i got to see hang out with joey ramone and, and shane mcgowan you know and kind of realize you know, I, I was a bit of an amateur. I had a long way to go, you know. So, uh, yeah, now that I, I've been to a lot of gigs, but uh, the Ramones, I guess, back then was amazing, you know, yeah. You know, and the Cramps, we we played with the Cramps as well. Yeah, fantastic. You know, see, I mean, it was just massive moshes, and I think there were, we had a lot more stage diving back then. So it was, a, it, it was great, yeah. High, high energy so I really I like a lot of that punk stuff 1990 that was well, when I hear you talking about stage yeah. diving you go gosh I can't wait to get back to those days even talking about gigs you know can't wait to get back to it yeah I mean it's 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 
you know, I guess you don't know what you've got till it's gone, you know, and, and uh, I mean, I know um, I've seen some shows in New Zealand with, you know, like the, the equivalent of the, of the O2 there, you know, rammed with, with people because they've no COVID there. And it's just, it looks so strange, you know. Um, so no, it will come back. Um, we'll learn different skills and I think we'll appreciate it a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's who'd, who'd have thunk it, you know. Do you have a favourite country in Europe to travel to? I mean, like, Italy is a is a is an interesting story uh, for me about travel because when I when I first went to Rome, I was on my way to Greece, and I travelled by train. Uh, I went to Rome, and I, you know, at the time, uh, it was before the euro, so um, you know they were dealing with lira, so everything cost millions, you know, and I had very little money, and I I landed in 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 Rome. I had to connect. Uh, with another train there in the train station and you know lots of people come to me you know would you like a room for like six million quid you know what I mean so I like, <laughs> no thanks you're okay um, and I ended up sleeping in the train station there and uh, you know I was quite disheveled uh, and I thought you know initially I was taking the metro out to uh, the Colosseum and having a look around and taking the metro back and after doing that three or four times I thought, I'll walk back, it can't be far. And I got completely lost. And, and nobody would, um, you know, give me the time of day. Everyone was running away from me because they thought I was begging. And I was just looking for directions back to the train station and my bed for the night. Um, so I left um, Rome thinking, never again. I'm, I, I, you know, I do not ever want to see that place again. It was, it was an awful experience. And the next time I was in Rome was with an emotional fish on a promo tour. And we were put up in a, in a five-star hotel <laughs> and it was wonderful, you know. Mm. I fell in love with Rome from that moment. So it's great to have, I mean, I, I really appreciate that I've had those times in my life with nothing, you know, almost homeless uh, and, uh, you know, living, sleeping on beaches. And then, you know, the other side of the coin, staying in, in, in the best hotels in the world, you know. And I always say it like your memories from traveling, it, it's the hardship stories that you remember the most you know, most fondly, those stories like being in a station or, you know, um, having yeah. little money. They're the real memories, I think, that you, you well, look well, back I, at. I think that's where, when, when you're more likely to encounter kindness, you know, and I think that's really, um, you know, and empathy. There's always somebody worse off than you, you know. I mean, I, I was always, um, I might have looked a bit derelict, but I always had, you know, my ticket home and my back pocket and, you know, enough to feed myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm, I'm a good survivor that way, you know. And tell us that that, that emotional fish time was as, was as, um, you know, was it all a blur or, you know, how did you find it? Like, you, you know, it was like, it was the heyday of Irish music, wasn't it? Like in the nineties was with, with ba Irish bands. It was. It, was a, it was a really incredible and wonderful time to be in a band and, and to be, especially to be, in a band with a with a massive record deal and um uh you know support and and, and to be touring so often and, and with the great bands because at the time you know there was the whole grunge thing happening in in america and then you had the manchester thing with the happy mondays and stuff happening in in, in the uk and that you know so it, it was a very vibrant scene there was so many and and also we were also lucky to have 
you know, bands like Sonic Youth still touring. Um, you know, I mean, that's how Nirvana broke, basically, was, was touring with, with Sonic Youth. And then we had the Ramones and the Pogues and yeah. all the, the bands we admired. Yeah, the Pixies. The Cramps, yeah, the Pixies. Yeah, I became very good friends with uh, Frank Black uh, as well through touring there around that time. So, I mean, it was an amazing time to be in a band, you know. And you know, then, when, so when you did Jerry Fish, I read that, you know, an influence was sort of a circus troupe in a Barcelona and New York City. Um, so that was very much from your travels, I think, wasn't it? That influence, that troubadour. It was. I mean, in, in between um, when Emotional Fish um, uh, disbanded, which was, which was a kind of a slow thing. It wasn't a meeting one day. It was, it was lots of issues and problems, mostly legal issues with record companies, etc. You know, no, nothing to do with music. So we all got a bit tired of it. And I think we just needed a break, you know. Um, and then I took to traveling again. I, I, I you know, went off. Um, I, you know, I, I, because I toured so often, I'd made friends in, in different cities. And I was in Amsterdam uh, when I was thinking coming back with something. And I saw a troupe called Lots Eccentricals. Uh, there were three clowns in a... In a, in a uh, uh, I think it was like a circus thing in in in, uh, in Amsterdam, and that really inspired me. I thought that was really entertaining. So I thought when I come back, I want to kind of really get involved more with circus and circus ideas. So I guess I followed that through. I mean, it was the original idea with Jerry Fish and the Mudbug Club, but then that became more of a kind of show band. You know, we had a we had a massive, you know, four or five piece brass section. Um, which was which was wonderful there, uh, a lot of theatrics, and and I guess then when I changed again, I came up with the Jerry Fish Electric Sideshow, which has become, you know, a, a massive extravaganza, and and involved me more with circus culture, and their performers, you know, and and the fraternity, you know. You kind of came full very, circle because that, that was your original idea, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Like you kind of it, it just happened organically over time, but it was your. Yeah, I think though. I think if you do have an idea and if it's there, you know, it will eventually kind of come to fruition. You know, it just it just that's how things happen. I think you know. I didn't realize I would get so immersed in it, but but I but I'm I'm I'm, I'm delighted to be. And of there. course, the electric sideshow in Electric Picnic is the kind of pinnacle of that isn't it it is well it was a great place to kind of you know when i was off of that i thought well, this is really where i can you know knuckle down and and uh, um focus on, on on exactly what it is and i think it's mostly inspired by um glastonbury fringe because glastonbury festival i think uh, when we went there with jerry fish and the mudbug club i played for uh, four nights i think we played uh, consecutive night we played at all we played at the backstage bar at the stage we were playing we we were constantly gigging at Glastonbury and I fell in love with that whole um fringe gathering and um I think it's kind of I took some of that and I mean it's such an eclectic mess really it, it's almost difficult to describe what it is you know but, it, but I think our, our creed is unity through diversity so the this the stranger the better you know and i think you could see things on that stage that you won't forget for the rest of your life you know? and it's grown every year hasn't it really it's has. huge and and then this year was supposed to be 
um, Melbourne had the idea of creating fish town. So I was going to make a whole town with a, a bar, cinema, um, a cafe, you know, I was going to have fires. And I really wanted to make a community. I, I even had ideas of having our own police force so we could get people to behave a little differently in our area, you know. And uh, yeah, I look forward to that a lot, you know, but sure. Yeah, we have I'm to assume, changed. I'm assuming, hopefully, that it'll happen next year. You know what I mean? We just have to mm. uh, hopefully be positive and, and assume that, because, uh, I mean, that, you know, festivals are such an important uh, thing, isn't it? Like, it kind of brings, you know, that's what I find, say, going to Electric Picnic or all tomorrow's parties, that it's like stuff you've seen abroad, especially like somewhere like Ibiza or somewhere, but in Ireland, you know what I mean? It's it's It's... For a few well, days. I think there's a community of Irish people, you know, I mean, we have a massive diaspora out there kind of connecting and doing all these things. So it's, it's really important that we have our own place where we can experiment and play with these things, you know, like regarding festivals being um, part of humanity. I mean, that's just been happening since the beginning of time. People have been united. I mean, there's a fascinating uh, thing I read about uh about a culture they discovered that they didn't even know about. And they had this massive, um, they uncovered this kind of, I guess, like a Stonehenge structure, not as big, but this circular uh, clock, which they saw was obviously a calendar, but but it didn't align with any stars or, you know, astrological thing or seasons. And that they figured out that it was actually a calendar of festivals that these people would have. Um, and these people had, you know, massive structures and no slave culture. They didn't use slaves. So the festivals basically were there. They, they cultivated beer. So they would have these festivals uh, on, I think, maybe several times a year. So everybody would go and get drunk together and, and hang out together and entertain each other. Um, and consequently, through that kind of downtime, they walked better together. You know, next time they had to shift a big stone up a hill, it was like, you know, as they were going, do you remember that time? Or do you remember last, you know? So I think it builds communities and it's, it, it's vital and important. I mean, festivals are important that we all get to, you know, come out of our homes, come together and uh, see what everyone looks like and see what everybody thinks and feels. And, and so I think they are vital and they're, they're there mm -hmm. since the beginning of time. You haven't been to Burning Man, have you? Or in, in America? Have you been to that festival, Burning I, Man? I've, I've met the organiser at the Electric Picnic and I, I'm fascinated and, and I'm very much a big fan of that festival because what they do is is basically they don't put on any entertainment. You, br you are the entertainment, so you bring everything with you. You know, you bring your entertainment, the, uh, you know, all your living things, everything you need to live in the desert for whatever time and then clean up and go so yeah I, i'm built for burning man but i i haven't been there you know? yeah no i've heard it's amazing and what like say for people that um you know like i love going abroad for gigs and things like that like is there any festivals abroad that have stood out that you've been to over the years you mentioned glastonbury which is the most famous is there any other ones in europe that you've been to that you'd recommend um, well, we were lucky to tour, you know, so so we were often playing at a lot of festivals. I mean, Glastonbury, without a doubt, is the mothership. You know, it 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 has something. I mean, what a lot of people don't realise is it is it's it's also a charity festival. You know, the 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 money everybody plays Glastonbury at a much cheaper rate than any other festival, 
and, and the, the money that they get goes to Greenpeace and WaterAid and, you know, a lot of um, very ethical um, things. So, so you know, I think when people are at a, uh, a gathering where they know their money is going to a great cause, there's an even greater feeling. So Glastonbury is without doubt the mothership. Um, you know, just 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 the lineups were incredible. You know, the Reading festivals that we played in nineteen nineties with Jane's Addiction and you know Nick Cave and just just incredible lineups. So I mean, Glastonbury to me is it. You know, mm. and I love the sunshine, but Glastonbury's it. I, I'll it put is. up with the mud for that. Yeah, know? exactly. I mean, the number I mean, hundred thousand more. It's probably more than it's probably. Nearly yeah, 100. I'm not sure what it was. That you know that. It, 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 I mean, when you first go there, it's it's daunting, really, uh, the amount of people there. But I'm not sure what the numbers are. I think it's way over 100,000. I think it might be two or three. And it's kind of like little village. You know, they're villages. People end up in their own little area, don't they? You know, that's... But, but they are. I mean, a lot of people, that's, I mean, Glastonbury is basically made up of two areas. It's Babylon, Avalon and Babylon. And Babylon is what you see on the BBC. That's the main stages and where a lot of the kind of general punters will go. But there's a, the whole other area. Babylon uh, or Avalon, which is which is uh, a little confused, which which has like um, unfair, places like unfair ground and Shangri La, which are kind of very political and and uh, you know mad hat, really crazy places. So I, I'm in love with them. You know, I love them. There's a, my favorite bar in the world is in in uh, uh, the back of Beyond in uh, in Glastonbury, which is kind of run by a, a troop of um, uh, Day of the Dead. Everyone's dressed as Day of the Dead, and it's just it's just amazing. I love it. You know, does it have a name? Does it? The Do Back of Beyond. Oh, that, oh, oh literally. Yeah, it's run. By, yeah, it's run, it's run by a uh, company called Copper Dollar. Wow. And they just, you know, I'd, I'd spend the rest of my life there happily. You know? Yeah, it's magical. You yeah, know? I mean, it's amazing. You don't need much, really. It, it just needs to be a place you know, that, that you feel like it's home. And I think that's what we, we've created. The Jerry Fish Electric Sideshow, Electric Picnic, is very much that as well. You know, it's a, it's the place just, I mean, I don't have any passes for backstage. Often invite people back to just hang out, chill out. And I think when you, when you make everybody a VIP, it's much easier, you know. Um, you emigrated to Ireland when you were young. Do you consider yourself Irish or an immigrant? Yeah, I love this country, you know, I really do. We, we live in a, an amazingly beautiful country, you know, and I think, uh, um, you know, where I live now, it's it's so undiscovered. And, and, and I guess we have a small population, which, which means where is the that? nation. Car- around Carlow, is it? I, I, I'm on Mount Leinster, yeah, in yeah. Uh, South County Carlow, on the, on the Wexford-Kilkenny border. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of borders, obviously, because of the way I've grown up, you know. I mean, I, I'd kind of love to campaign to maybe get rid of the Cork Kerry border rather than focusing on the North all the time. Let's <laughs> have an example, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are obsessed by borders in this country that weren't put there by us, you know? So I guess uh, I'm lucky to kind of roam free, you know, you know, as well. So the whole coast of the, the country is, is that wild is, Atlantic is, way, really Cork up to Donegal is just, Oh, Even nice. the east, you know, I'm, I'm still discovering uh, wet is on my doorstep here, you know. Beautiful. I mean, True. it's just, you know, travelling Ireland is, is, is a wonderful eye-opener as well, you know. So many different people, you know. Uh, yeah. Distant lands, you know, it's... it's, it's, it's exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of um, 
I guess, a state of mind, you know? Yeah. Like I really noticed that this year with obviously with the lockdown, you know, we were, we went to Kerry for a few days and Clare for a few days and I, you know, I'm from Clare, so I'm used to that, but Kerry, mm-hmm. I'd forgotten like the drive over going into Derry Nan is just amazing. I'd forgot, it's just yeah. so, you know, beautiful, world-class yeah. really, you know? I mean, I, I, th- I think, um, I think that's why Americans often feel comfortable in Ireland because we have these vast areas you know it looks kind of a mini version of 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 the giant kind of landscapes that they have really beautiful yeah exactly you know i kind of like i mean i've been asked the question for years and years why do we think the irish people are you know we all have a song or a story do you know um you know why is that you know and i remember somebody telling me um you know, I always say, you know, you should chew what I say and try not to swallow because it's not all fact, you know. <laughs> but somebody said, suggested to me that to be a high king in Ireland, you know, in which we had, you know, many, many hundreds and uh, it, you, you didn't get that through birth, you know. To be a king, you had to be, the. no one was wittier than the king. No one was smarter than the king, you know. So you had to be witty. You know, and I thought, well, maybe that's an explanation. You know, we, you know, we're constantly competing for who can tell the best story, sing the best song, you know, kind of make up the, 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 the you know, the, the most incredible story ever. And we're famous for that. And we, I don't think it will stop, but we do need an outlet. Yeah. You know, which is down to even the pubs, you know, down to even meeting places, you know. So exactly. Um, so I really appreciate this talk. I really enjoyed it. And a question, it's my wife, Emer, came up with this one. And it's my last question that um, we always ask. And it is, if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels, where would that be? I actually do this in the shower anyway. It's kind <laughs> of... And, I, and I, I grew up in a lot of ghettos and a lot of kind of, you know, heavily uh, populated areas like Brixton, South London, and then, and then over to Dublin. And uh, when I first started traveling, I went off, as I said, I went off to uh, the Sinai Desert. I went off to the desert and there was, a, there was a beach called Taba and it was the first beach I ever slept on. And uh, I just remembered in the, in the sleeping bag, looking at the stars going, you know, are you allowed to do this? Is, is, is what, you know, that, People are just let me. Am I allowed to do this? I did, couldn't believe that you could actually live with nothing. You know you, that the stars as a blanket was enough. You know, and I think uh, I never recovered. You know, it was definitely I, I, I was a beach bum from then then on in. So living as a beach bum has has definitely been my happiest. Uh, uh, travel memory for sure you know and anybody in my household will tell you that <laughs> that's beautiful thank you so much Jerry. i really appreciate it thanks a million uh, thank you i would ask if you could please subscribe to apple podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week i would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast to find out who's on every tuesday please follow me on instagram and facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.